Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I've got 90 minutes. If you'll take that same 90 minutes with me, we'll give you the entire world, and we'll talk with our broadcast partners about current events happening across the world that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at 71, their Independence Day earlier this week. I know it's a bit different than what you thought, May the 14th, but it's because of the Jewish calendar. We'll get into that a bit later, but just keep the dial set. I'm going to be talking with Itamar Marcus. He's going to tell us why the Palestinian terrorist fired some 700 rockets into Israel. We'll ask him if it was for the purpose of interrupting Independence Day celebration. Jim Jr.'s in Jerusalem. We're going to talk with Jim about his tour, and he's got another one coming in. We want you to think about going to Israel with us. It'll be a great time if you can come and go along. And David Dolan has his Middle East news update. All ahead right here on this edition, a special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at 71. And as I go to my first broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman, let me start with that question, Ken. It's somewhat of a modern-day miracle, people have said. Israel is 71 years of age, a nation of people scattered all over the world, regathered, and now a nation among the nations of this world. Well, it is indeed, and Israel shows that it can constantly reinvent itself as well over the past 71 years. Uh, you know, they've gone through many phases from facing five Arab armies, a real risk of being thrown into the sea, which is what the Arabs declared they wanted to do, to today where they're facing an existential threat once again, but this time from Iran and from Iranian nuclear weapons. Israel has shown itself able to defend itself in the direst of circumstances. I fully expect it to be able to defend itself today. Yes, and a very interesting development. You mentioned Iran there. Our own Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, uh, there was an article that says that he has a right to warn Iran, don't target Americans and America itself. That's what's been going on. It seems to be intensifying between the United States and Iran. Well, that's right. Uh, We sent the U.S. carrier, the aircraft carrier Abraham Lincoln and his carrier task force strike group into the Red Sea. They went in there on Thursday. They're headed for the Persian Gulf. We're also sending B-52s and other bombers into the region aimed at Iran quite specifically. Secretary Pompeo made an unexpected visit on Wednesday to Baghdad to warn Iraqi leaders not to allow Iranian proxies on their territory, these 100,000 Iraqi Shiite militiamen, to target Americans or target U.S. forces still stationed in Iraq. And I wrote in Fox News this week that the U.S. has new knowledge of Iran's intentions and Iranian threats from a very senior defector, the guy who was uh, up until just three weeks ago the chief of the Revolutionary Guards Intelligence Service. This is a high-ranking general, a guy named Ali Nasiri, who, by all accounts, defected to the United States on about April 19th or 20th. His resignation or his firing was announced by the Iranian media. This is a very unusual step. Normally, when a high-level person defects, they try to cover it up. In this case, the Iranians didn't. They immediately announced a successor to him. They also 
fired the man who had hired him a year ago. That was the commander of the Revolutionary Guards, and he had been in post for nearly 10 years. So this is a really big shakeup in Iranian intelligence who's affected to the United States with a lot of highly secret intelligence information, not just about those threats, but about their nuclear weapons programs, and I believe also about U.S. hostages uh, still in Iran. And we'll carry that article on our website, prophecytoday.com. It'll be posted on the homepage, right in the center of the page, an article uh, by our broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman. Uh, Talk to me about, uh, I hear a report, there's a possible, with the military escalation very viable, United States and Iran having a bit of a a grace period to sit back and take a deep breath and think. You know anything about that? Well, there are, uh, you know, 60-day, 90-day delays. The Iranians are saying, you know, 60 days before they they, uh, actually pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. These are just artificial deadlines. I think we're approaching a real crisis between the U.S. and Iran, uh, and it will be triggered by the Iranians if they decide to go through with some of the operational plans they had in place to target Americans in Iraq. And this was real stuff. I mean, Pompeo has announced, and John Bolton, the National Security Advisor, announced last Sunday very publicly in ways I really have not seen in years. They had intelligence about specific attacks. There will be a military confrontation. And Pompeo delivered a specific warning to Iraqi leaders, expecting them to deliver that to the Iranians, that if they carried out those attacks, the U.S. will retaliate against Iran inside Iran. Well, I know that aircraft carrier unit came in with all the other ships that accompanied those aircraft carriers into the Persian Gulf. Because the Persian Gulf is vital enough for the United States to go to war if they had to. And Iran is always threatening to shut down the Strait of Hormuz there in the Persian Gulf. This is key, is it not? Uh, It is. And the United States has always been committed to freedom of navigation. It's a, a sacred principle. So in this case, the Persian Gulf is considered a strategic international waterway. The Strait of Hormuz will be kept open by U.S. forces. That aircraft carrier strike group should be arriving in the Strait of Hormuz. In a couple of days, they're transiting through the Red Sea uh, uh, right now. Uh, so they should be there by mid-next week, I would imagine. And they can keep the Strait open. The Iranians, uh, at best, could attempt to close it by sinking some ships or by harassing tankers with their Revolutionary Guards speedboats. Uh, but they will not stand up to U.S. naval power, which is awesome in comparison. I will talk with one of our other broadcast partners on another time about uh, what's happening there in the Gaza Strip, 700 missiles fired at Israel. But it simply brings to our attention that Egypt and Iran are basically vying for influence in the Gaza Strip. Why Iran concerned with Egypt now? They're going to go to war with Egypt as well? Egyptians want Gaza to remain quiet. They don't want a confrontation zone in between them and Israel. Uh, And they see Iran as uh, really playing with fire. The Iranians are backing both Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and Egypt is trying to temper that influence. I don't know how much succeed or how much real influence the Egyptians have, since Gaza is populated by all of their enemies. 
Hamas itself is the Muslim Brotherhood, and the Muslim Brotherhood is the dire enemy of President al-Sisi of Egypt. Remember, it was al-Sisi who dethroned or deposed the Muslim Brotherhood government in Egypt just a couple of years ago. Al-Sisi wants Gaza to be quiet. How much influence does he have to actually carry that out? We'll have to see. I think the Iranians are in the, uh, uh, have the upper hand in Gaza right now. You know, Ken, you and I have often talked about persecution of Christians in the Middle East. Now, it's happening around the world, but when you and I have a conversation, we focus on the Middle East. I read an article, sent it along to you. It's entitled, Iran's Terror Factory uh, to Go After and Target Christians. I mean, this is this is an unbelievable activity they're involved in, and it's only a part of what the Bible talks about in the end times. Talk to me about it yourself. Well, that's right, Jimmy. The Iranian regime, the Islamic State of Iran, has declared war against house, the house church movement in Iran. They did that under Ahmadinejad already, and really in 2005, actually, when he was first elected president. And ever since then, they've used the intelligence services to track down pastors, to close down house churches, to arrest the members, and they're doing that today as well. In this particular case, there's an entire family of pastors, the Beit Tamraz family, who have been arrested, persecuted, jailed in Iran. And what's exceptional about this case is that the Iranians are actually going after them in exile as well. The, uh, some of the family members have moved to Switzerland, and the Iranians have basically declared publicly uh, there should be an open season on these Iranian exiled Christians in Switzerland. So that is, that is really a new wrinkle to this, that they're not just going after Christians inside Iran, but going after them outside as well once they've left. Boy, this is going to spread as we grow closer to the tribulation period. One final thought. We started by saying this was a special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at 71 years of age. During the celebration on Independence Day, the Prime Minister Netanyahu said Israel will not allow Iran to have nuclear weapons. You think Israel is capable of shutting down the nuclear weapons operation there in Iran? I do, and I think that Israel has shown itself to have exceptional intelligence assets inside Iran. Remember, they got the photographs from inside two nuclear warehouses that the Iranians thought were completely, you know, shuttered from the public eye. The Israelis not just got photographs, but they actually took out 150 tons of documents from one of those archives of Iran's nuclear secrets. So I think Israel is doing everything it can to get advanced warning of the final stages of weaponization where the Iranians would put together a nuclear warhead with a nuclear-capable missile. And I think at this point that they are well-positioned to have that ultimate warning. But, you know, again, we'll see what we see. We'll see what we see. That's a great thought. I've read the last chapter. The Lord will intercede when Iran tries to destroy the Jewish state of Israel and wipe Iran off the face of the earth. Ken Timmerman is the man who covers geopolitical activities for us. He's a must to you for the opportunity to understand insight into these current events around the world. Ken, thank you so very much, my friend. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East news update for us. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. David Dolan is standing by. We're going to have a Middle East news update from David, and then we'll talk with Jim Jr., our oldest son. He's there in Jerusalem, talk about what they have been seeing, the tour group that's there, an amazing time there for Holocaust Remembrance Day, Memorial Day, and Independence Day as well. What a time to be able to visit Israel. We do this, have about eight tours a year. More information can be found if you go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel and find out all the details about the tours we will have in this next year. We have a number of them, uh, the dates, uh, the costs, uh, the itinerary, all the details. Love to have you come go to Israel with us. Well, speaking of Israel, the man who covers that area for us, been there over 35 years as a journalist, knows the land. And David, I want to talk with you that's David Dolan, who I'm referring to now. I want to talk to you, David, about the future and get your thoughts about that on Israel. They're 71 years of age as of the Independence Day this week. Uh, but would you please just help us to focus on how Memorial Day goes into Independence Day? They commemorated uh, the 23,000-plus who have been killed in all the wars of Israel, 3,100 citizens killed by terrorist attacks. But Memorial Day leads, and it seems appropriate, before Independence Day when joy breaks out. Talk to us about that. Well, Jimmy, it is a remarkable feature. There's no other country in the world that uh, has such an arrangement. And as uh, I think I've said in previous years, once or twice on your show, that it really brings Memorial Day out into where it should be, because 
Independence Day is the next day. So just think of it this way. Memorial Day would be on July 3rd, and 4th of July comes right after it. And you transit from going to the graves, remembering the dead. The Israelis put rocks, as you know, on top of the gravestone. And um, it's, it's moving, but then they transit to Independence Day. So what cost us? How much did it cost us to get our country? How much does it cost us to keep our country? And this year, Jimmy, that was a big focus because, of course, over last weekend, between uh, Holocaust Memorial Day on a Thursday a week ago and Independence Day this Thursday and Memorial Day Wednesday, we had the heaviest rocket barrage on Israel ever, actually, in terms of the rate. Uh, 700 rockets nearly in just uh, two days, and in one hour, uh, the city of Ashdod was hit by a massive barrage Another hour, Ashkelon, where I used to spend many weeks, and four Israelis were killed. One, an Arab Israeli, actually, but an Israeli, and uh, he was killed in his bed when a rocket hit the house. So uh, the uh, cost of that freedom, the cost of having independence, of existing, is the blood that's been shed, and that is what the two days together brings very sharply to focus, Jimmy, and and it's so wonderful when Independence Day comes. I mentioned last week the moving testimony of the Holocaust survivor of her mother perishing in the, uh, in the death camp and being, going up in smoke, literally. This time on Independence Day, they pick also special Israelis to light candles for Independence Day, but they're young entrepreneurs wonderful people. I'm familiar with several of them that did that. They're well-known. Some are politicians, but just really the the contrast is so different. So it's an old country, as old as China, really, the Hebrew nation, and yet it's reborn today. It's new, it's vibrant, it's growing. And the statistics, I don't, won't go into all that, but it's one of the youngest countries on earth, the startup nation. It's still going. It's still got the most innovation of anywhere. It's about young blood and just energy, and it's a thriving land. And by the way, go with Jimmy's son, Jim, to Israel. He's a great guy, a friend of mine, and he knows the land intimately. He lived there. We work together, and uh, if you're going to go over, that, that's a great tour. I recommend it. Well, thank you. That's an unsolicited testimonial, and we appreciate it so much, Dave. You know, it's interesting to note they published the population, which is 9 million-plus living in Israel itself. About 75% of that would be the Jewish people, 6.3, I think, million Jews. More Jews living in Israel than the rest of the Jews around the world. But when you stop to think about it, that's about 10 times what it was at the birth of the Jewish state back in 1948. Amazing how this country, a miracle, comes together, and now they're growing by leaps and bounds, somewhere about 15 million, they say, by their 100th birthday. Interesting to look at this testimony as to the fulfillment of God's plan for the Jewish people. Well, Jimmy, when I moved to Israel in 1980, they were just about to turn 33. And now they're 71, the age of the country, more than double that. But the population in 1980 was 3.8 million, I believe it was, 3 point something, but I think it was 8 or 7, something around there. Now it's three times that almost since 1980. 
So again, it's got one of the largest birth rates. The Jewish birth rate is also very, very high. And again, there's just such an energy there. I, I miss Israel very much. I plan to be back there later this year. To, uh, our ministry has asked me to come and do some work, some volunteer work with them, and I'm hoping to do that. And certainly if there is a war, and uh, we've been talking about that for months, and I don't want to cloud the discussion of the holiday, but it certainly is a very real prospect. We have the U.S. aircraft carrier group passing now into the Red Sea, out of the Suez Canal, heading for the Persian Gulf. We have a lot of talk about an imminent conflict, and it's a very widespread, and that the Gaza situation has not stopped. It was just a pause, and that they are preparing for new uh, attacks. And by the way, in those attacks, Jimmy, you may know this, there were two Iranian-made rockets that have never been used before were deployed this time. They believe they were testing them out. One was fired at Ashdod. They are more powerful. They have multi-warheads, a couple of them. They're more sophisticated, and they're uh, built by Iran, so they are smuggling those into Gaza, and we don't know how many more they might have. But So the situation is dire, but the country is ready. People are prepared as much as they can be. The army is strong, Jimmy. The morale is good, and the economy is excellent. It's, uh, after the U.S., I think it's the third or fourth hottest economy right now in the world. And like I said, the startup industries are, are booming still, and just a lot of energy there, a lot of intelligence, and the bringing back of these scattered Jews from all over the world, and then they're joining together in marriage and having children. Well, not all of them get married before they have children, but you know what I'm saying. It's creating a new breed of Israeli that is um, amazing. Uh, I mean, the young people there, it's, Tel Aviv was voted one of the most popular beaches in the world in a European poll recently, and I mean, that's because it's such a young country, and you go there and you say, wow, where do all these good-looking people come from? You know, They really are. They're healthy and strong, and so God bless Israel. He has been, and he will. They have trials ahead, but 71 years old, and congratulations on that, Mazel Tov. You know, it's interesting also at the Independence Day speeches, the Prime Minister Netanyahu said that their number one enemy is Iran, and he made a promise to the Jewish people for the future. He said that as long as he is in charge, they will not allow Iran to have nuclear weapons. That's their main threat, but uh, they can take care of it, most likely, don't you believe? I do, Jimmy. I, I think we're going to see, though, uh, what they were testing in this last barrage was barrage, and they uh, Hamas claimed that they had beat the Iron Dome system, they found a way to do it, and that was by launching 40, 60 rockets in a second, all at once. Well, this isn't new. The PLO did that into northern Israel. When I lived there in 1980-81, we would have 40 Katusha rockets, but much shorter range, much less powerful. Not, nevertheless, at our kibbutz one time, they fired uh, a barrage of 40. But indeed, Jimmy, it, there was a 84%, I believe they now think, successful interception rate by Iron Dome of this barrage. But that means, you know, 15, 16% got through. And that's why we had four deaths and uh, hundreds wounded. And, and they're using a new shrapnel uh, bomb. That's one of the Iranian ones that, that disperses shrapnel over a much bigger area. So there are threats from Iran besides the nuclear one, for sure, Jimmy. And they're... They're really more concerned about that at the moment, that if Hezbollah joins in the next barrage from Gaza, 
and the Hezbollah forces have maybe 15 to 20 times the rockets that Hamas has in the Gaza Strip. That's the estimate, Jimmy, so many more. And, of course, Iran has its own rockets in Syria. So it's a threat, but Netanyahu's on guard, and he's watching, and the army is alert, and they're not sleeping, that's for sure. And the God of Israel never slumbers or sleeps. Yes, he will take care. That's an absolute. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, we need to have him every week give you a report so we can understand where we are in God's time. David, thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week with a very important report. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Indemar Marcus, he's head of Palestinian Media Watch. He's going to be telling us what the Palestinian people are talking about, especially in light of those 700 missiles fired into Israel this last week. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee, with this special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at 71, 71 years old. What a testimony to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Well, we're going to talk with Itamar Marcus in a moment. And he, along with everything that his team does to monitor the Palestinian media, is indicative of what the Bible talks about when it talks about Amalek. And it mentions the final war against Amalek over there in the book of Obadiah. So we always, when we can get a chance to do it, have Edomar Marcus at the broadcast table to talk with us. By the way, Edomar had a great day this week, Independence Day celebration. Did you and your family have a good time of celebrating the 71st birthday of the State of Israel? Absolutely. We we joined with some of the national celebrations uh, on television, the fireworks in the central part of Jerusalem. There were special prayers in the synagogues, uh, thanking God for fulfilling His promise of uh, 2,000 years. And it's wonderful, as you said, to to be living the fulfillment of a promise. So many generations just had the promise. So many generations dreamed of this, and we have a great merit to have that ability to say that we are living the fulfillment of those prophecies. Yes, tangible evidence of the reality of the truth behind the 
ancient Jewish prophets who foretold all of this many, many years ago. Well, let's get into what else has been going on in addition to Independence Day celebration of the 71st birthday of the State of Israel. Earlier in the week, Hamas and Islamic Jihad fired something like, I believe the ladies report, about 700 rockets into Israel. Now, I understand this was at the command of Iran. What can you tell us about this rocket barrage and how Iran played a role in it? Iran is the number one uh, benefactor financially and in other ways of the Islamic Jihad. They're also a tremendous supporter of uh, Hamas, although Hamas has other supporters as well. But which means when Iran wants them to do something, they have to do it. Iran has been the one who for years has smuggled in these missiles. Uh, they smuggled these missiles in because at certain times they want to have missiles fired at Israel. So they gave the instructions. Iran, you know, is facing a lot of pressure from the United States today. They want to go ahead with their nuclear program to have nuclear weapons to threaten Israel, the United States, and essentially every non-Muslim, non-Muslim Shia country, because that's their goal, is subjugation of the world. So when Iran... Who, who is supporting terror around the world, when Iran wants the Islamic Jihad to do something, they don't have any choice but to listen. Well, I know at Israel's northern border, there in southern Lebanon, Hezbollah is the surrogate terrorist organization, which Iran sent in way back in the 1980s. I, I think it was 82 when they came in and destroyed the marine barracks up there. So they've been that surrogate terrorist organization in southern Lebanon at Israel's northern border. I know, and they're Shiite, of course, but I also know that the Sunnis, which is a part of the Muslim Brotherhood organization, Hamas coming out of the Muslim Brotherhood there into the Gaza Strip, have they now become a surrogate terrorist organization for Iran as well, as long with Islamic Jihad? What you're pointing out is a great uh, irony, because uh, the Shiites and the Sunni, two different branches of Islam, have been having civil wars for the last, uh, well, 10 or 15 years actively, but really for since the, since the establishment of Islam. It's really since 1,400 years they've been fighting each other and killing each other. Very actively you have it going on in Yemen right now where you have an active civil war still today where Sunnis are murdering the Shiites and the Shiites are murdering the Sunnis. So this is a very serious uh, hatred that's going on for 1,400 years, and yet, and yet Iran is willing to support... Sunnis, who are their enemies, because the Sunnis will then, the Sunnis Islamic Jihad will then fire missiles on Israel. So basically what Iran is thinking, let's let the, let's strengthen Hamas, let's strengthen Islamic Jihad, let's strengthen Hezbollah, so we have Hezbollah in the north, we have these two terror organizations in the south, and someday we'll be able to destroy Israel, and then we can destroy them as well. But uh, the first goal is to destroy Israel, and then they'll worry about destroying the other Sunnis. So it's, a, it's an evil, evil Iran government. Your enemy, my enemy, we join forces to destroy our enemy. Quite interesting exactly. philosophy. I do know that Mahmoud Abbas, who heads up the Palestinian Authority, and also the body politic of the Palestinian people called Fatah, which is a, another terrorist organization, really, in reality, as compared to Hamas. And 
They're located right there just north of Jerusalem in Ramallah, Mahmoud Abbas, and he heads up the Palestinian Liberation Organization. They have sided with Hamas. They want to be relevant. What in the world does that mean? Well, the Palestinian population, because they have been fed so much hatred by the government for so many years, anyone, anyone who will go to war against Israel then gets popular support. So when Hamas goes to war against Israel, as they did Hamas and Islamic Jihad for two days, Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority will be sort of left behind, and the entire population will shift their support over to Hamas. We've seen this in the previous conflict a few years ago when there was a, uh, a three-week-long, terrible conflict where Israel was forced in the end to invade the Gaza Strip. Uh, we lost, I believe, over 70 of our soldiers, Hamas, and the citizens who they were hiding amongst 2,000 Palestinians were killed. And in spite of the terrible losses for the Palestinians, polls found that 85% of the Palestinian population in both West Bank and Gaza believed that Hamas won the war, and they supported Ismail Haniyeh, who was head of Hamas at the time. They supported his going to war against Israel. He brought 2,000 deaths on his people, but because he was also able to inflict casualties on Israel, including civilian casualties, uh, with his missiles, Hamas was then the Palestinian hero. And that's what it means Abbas wants to remain relevant. He doesn't want a situation where Hamas is going to go up in the polls again, and he's going to go down to the bottom because he's not fighting Israel. The Palestinian Authority, Fatah, and Hamas compete amongst themselves. Who can attack and kill more Israelis? This is one of the great tragedies that we face, uh, being stuck in the middle of their, of their competing to, uh, to be popular. Itamar, was this rocket barrage, basically, by Hamas and Islamic Jihad, really for the purpose of uh, interrupting Independence Day celebrations and then the international event, uh, the Eurovision, that's coming up real soon now also? Well, that's what Israel feared, uh, and that's why Israel really gave in to so many of their demands. Israel agreed to have Qatar send them if I believe the number was over $40 million in cash, literally bills of cash that Hamas is now going to use, presumably to help the civilian population, but we know that Hamas has other things in mind. So Israel was basically forced to allow protection money come in. We wanted this to stop before the Independence Day celebrations, which of course are tremendously uh, important, and they're continuing to threaten us, and that's why we will not do anything serious against them at least for another, I would say, 10 days, till the Eurovision is over. The Eurovision is a week from this Saturday night. The, the finals is it starts actually uh, four days before then. So Israel is sort of behind the eight ball right now. We want, we have the most important, I mean, Americans might not be familiar with the Eurovision, but 180 million Europeans watch this mm. on television. Mm. Uh, the, the countries get completely involved, and in it's like it's like the World Cup of music mm. for them. It's the Olympics of music. Everybody gets involved. Everybody supports their country. It's in Israel because we won last year's event, so we're the host this year. And with the entire world looking at us, Hamas and Islamic Jihad would love would love to ruin that event. Yeah. So Israel, in order not to have this major event, major cultural event. Uh, ruined. We're going to give in to all of their demands, I fear, uh, over the next 10 days, and I don't blame the government. They really have to. There's a sort of an international responsibility here. 
not to allow this to be disrupted. But afterward, I'm hoping the government will do what we have to do to destroy these terror organizations, or at least to make them much, much more irrelevant. Itamar Marcus has an organization entitled Palestinian Media Watch. Palwatch.org is their address on the Internet. You can go there and uh, you can bookmark that particular site. I would suggest you do that. He keeps all of the world abreast of what's going on. One of the articles, Itamar, that's up there on your website, palwatch.org, is that the European Union is now funding the Palestinian terrorists so the Palestinian terrorists can pay the terrorists that are in jail. Something does not sound right there. That's absolutely the case. It's uh, crazy. The Palestinian Authority pays salaries to terrorists in prison. Uh, Israel has stopped giving them the money, the equivalent of those salaries that they pay. This is Palestinian tax money that we collect, but we said if you're giving... uh, 140 or so million dollars a year to terrorists, we're going to deduct that every month, one-twelfth of that amount. And that's what Israel's doing. As a result, the Palestinian Authority is rejecting all of Israel's tax money, which is about a half of their budget. So they've created this incredible deficit, an incredible hardship on their population, because they want to keep paying salaries to terrorists. And the European Union, instead of saying, stop paying salaries to terrorists, said, okay, we'll give you an extra 15 million euro. It's an outrage, it's immoral, it's unethical, but this is what the European Union is doing. This report, dear friend, that you've been listening to is a result of Itamar's team. They monitor the Palestinian media, both the electronic and the print media. He is just so knowledgeable of what the Palestinian people are doing because he's listening to what they're telling their people to be doing. Uh, That's a great advantage and uh, assistance to all of us who really want to know the truth about the Palestinian people and what they're trying to do today. Itamar, thank you so very much. Uh, Congratulations on the 71st birthday of the Jewish State of Israel. May you have many, many more, and may you be able to control the Palestinian people. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, buddy. Thank you very much, and uh, you should all have a, a great day. Itamar Marcus, Palestinian Media Watch. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us, lived in Brussels, Belgium, for over 30 years. He knows a lot about that part of the world, met with the, the parliamentary leaders and all of those leaders in the European Union, so he is knowledgeable of the questions we ask him when we get together for a conversation right here on Prophecy Today. John, talk to me about what the European Union is saying about Israel at 71 years of age. Very interesting time in the history of the nation of Israel. Does it coincide with what's happening in the European Union? Yes, we see that there's a very distinct parallel, Jimmy, between Israeli statehood in 1948 and the beginnings of the European Union are actually concurrent. So oftentimes we look back and we say 1957 is the beginning of the European Economic Community, 1958, the Treaty of Rome, which of course is also a reference to the ancient Roman Empire. 1950, going backwards, we have the Schuman Declaration, which was the beginning of the Coal and Steel Agreement between France and Germany, which is seen as the beginning of today's European Union. Then, 1949, May 5th, so this is very close, within one year. 
that's when the Council of Europe was founded. And so when we look at these times of commemoration, I always think about how the, the parallels are so close that Israel statehood and the European Union formation uh, was basically concurrent. And this makes total sense because obviously it's a highly significant prophetic event, and therefore today's European Union paralleling the end-time kingdom from Daniel and Revelation, it makes sense. In fact, it's entirely logical that the Israel's role in the end times would have to be paralleled with the end-time kingdom from Daniel and Revelation as well. That's, of course, a combination of two major players in the end times, the revived Roman Empire, which I believe it would uh, the infrastructure of it would be the European Union and the Jewish State of Israel. Interesting how politics and prophecy do come together. Well, speaking of politics, talk to me about the European Union. Very much concerned about Iran's partial withdrawal from uh, the nuclear agreement that was signed. And uh, they're just really much concerned about what's happening. Your Germany, for example, United Kingdom urging Iran against any aggressive steps. What are your thoughts? The EU has tried to play in the middle concerning Iran, as we know. And so the foreign ministers came out with a joint statement, uh, official representative of the European Union, saying they're very concerned that Iran is not fulfilling their total commitments, backing out of some of the uh, nuclear deal. I would say Iran is one of the most predictable players in anything we've ever covered. And so this is just very typical. The real point here is that the extent and the effect of the U.S. sanctions, Iran is just making a coercive play. European Union has come out with a statement, but they actually they take no action and in the statement, they're encouraging others to take no action. So they're basically giving free course to Iran in this situation. That does not bode well for the future, according to the Iranian people and the prophetic scenario of founding God's word. Talk to me about the European elections upcoming, the battle for Europe seemingly about to begin. The European Parliament elections, as we know, every five years, the European Parliament is the only democratic elected institution of the European Union. This is where the people are able to have their voice heard, even though the official effect of it is, is small. It's a, it's a big part of today's European Union, May 23 to 26. Now, with the Eurosceptic parties expected to take one-third of the representation in the Parliament, I've never seen anything like this, where there's been, we even have various parliamentary groups that are going and campaigning in countries. And so there's a very, very strong rhetoric that enough is enough. The European Union has completely overplayed their hand. Now they, rather than just simply a union, it's really a full force against having nation states. And for them to survive, they're going to have to make a shift that will be towards some type of political union. Uh, this is a very, very major point that people will object to. So today's European Union, as we see it, will, will not stand as it is now. And this is going to be a real inflection point from the elections. 
What about uh, the Eastern Mediterranean nations and the parliamentary elections? There uh, seems to be some problem there. Yes, well, we have Israel is affecting the European Union and, and has a voice in the sense of being a Middle Eastern partner. Uh, Israel, Cyprus, and Greece. Cyprus and Greece are in the European Union. So we actually see that there could be a power shift towards the east. Many of the crises are coming from the eastern side. We frequently speak about Turkey and Russia's influence in today's Europe. And so we're going to see a strengthening, I believe, in these nations in terms of facing the European Union, mainly because there's an instability and a deterioration in today's European Union. So therefore, there appears to be a power shift to the east, and so it's an opportunity for Israel, Cyprus, and Greece in particular to step up to the plate and then try to make some type of uh, reshaping, so forth, uh, of today's European Union's existential crisis. You're not only a broadcast partner with us, John, but you teach Bible prophecy yourself. What we've talked about today and all the chaos and confusion that's going on, ultimately that's the political, but uh, can we not see better in focus because of this political activity, the prophetic moving into a position of fulfillment? Absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's the basis of uh, all of our comments here, is that the instability and the, and the disintegration of today's European Union points to the setup, the non-democratic focus of today's European Union. It points to the setup, the uh, rise against nation-states. It poises to the setup where one day this group of nations, which we believe certainly will... Uh, be a group of 10, will be the power base of the Antichrist. So we do examine trends today that fit into that scenario, absolutely. And that's the reason we bring John Rude to these microphones, helping you to better understand the political aspects of what's going on in the EU, helping to set the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. John, thank you for your report, an essential report that we need to have on a weekly basis. So, therefore, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, right now, friends, we are going to switch to our temporary studios in Jerusalem, Israel. Jim Jr., who produces this program, actually, has a lot of reports on the program, is in Jerusalem. And we want to talk with Jim about his tour that he's had this last couple of weeks. I guess you just uh, put the people on the plane to come home for this last tour, correct, Jim? We sure did, Dad. Actually, they went to Istanbul, and they're spending a couple days in Istanbul and then going home. And we're here getting ready for our next group to come in. Yeah, well, that's what we do. We run them through, and you and Rick over there in the land doing that uh, yeoman's duty of taking people throughout the land of the Bible, giving them an opportunity to see Israel past, present, and future. Well, it's been an interesting couple of weeks with you and the tour there, Jim. You were there at the time of the Holocaust Remembrance Day, Memorial Day, and then Independence Day earlier this week. Those were important times. Talk to me just a moment and reflect with the people listening to our conversation about the Holocaust Remembrance Day, a special day, a solemn day for the Jewish people of Israel, wasn't it? It sure was. The most important thing, Dad, that I saw being here in the land, of course, we were at the location of Beit Shan, which is an ancient city. That's where Saul's body hung. 
on the walls there after Saul was killed on Mount Gilboa. And we were there on the site, and everybody that was there with us, when the siren went, uh, everybody stopped and stood still, very respectful. And it was just a moment, uh, as we have seen throughout the whole country, people remembering, not letting the younger, this next generation or any generation, to forget what took place and what prepared the Jewish people to come to the land of Israel. Well, that's true. They remember so they can say then the statement, never again. Well, Memorial Day is somewhat similar, not quite as intense as Holocaust Remembrance Day, but Memorial Day this last week was a time when the nation again stopped for a two-minute sounding of a alarm or a siren across the entire nation to honor those who have fallen in the wars of Israel. I think about 23,000-plus have been involved in the War of Independence, 57 wars, 67 uh, six-day war, the Yom Kippur War, and recent wars as well. Uh, But I've been many times over to the president's home there in Jerusalem, Jim, and we would honor those boys and girls who were serving in the Israeli Defense Force, adult men and women, of course, as well. But this is a solemn time, and it's it's part of, I think, unifying the Jewish people when they stand together and honor those who have fallen in defense of their nation, the Jewish nation of Israel. I agree, Dad. You know, everyone here, male and female, enter into the military at the age of 18. So you know that these young men and women that are now older, when they were young, they fought together side by side and through a lot of these wars, and you get to stand next to these people. We do know that they served in these wars, and you could see on their faces as they thought about their friends, their brothers in in arms that they fought alongside of and remembered those men and women who had fallen in the wars here in the land of Israel. What's so interesting to me, Jim, is that that happens the 24 hours before Independence Day begins. And I know that you take your groups over to Independence Hall, where Ben-Gurion, 71 years ago, made the statement that Israel is now a nation among the nation of the world. And after that sad day, Memorial Day, then Joy breaks out across the nation. I think I remember we talked to you on Independence Day, and y'all were standing on the boardwalk and fireworks going off, everything. People get happy to celebrate their 71st birthday, didn't they? They do, and uh, they dress up. They're so excited. Uh, it's a lot like our Independence Day in the United States. There's fireworks, uh, live music, and bands on the boardwalk, and people coming out children, families all together taking pictures, bubbles, big hammers that squeak when you, and people are just uh, just having a great time. Flags, brand new flags all over the country, lining the streets, on the cars. It was just beautiful to see it. And what a great opportunity for those who went along with you on the tour, Jim, being able to travel the entire state, look at biblical history in the sites where it all played out, and then Look at what's happening today, and as of course, I'm sure you took them over to Petra, and there in Petra had an opportunity to talk about the future. So there it was, the past, the present, and the future. Petra, very unique as it relates to the future for the Jewish people. It sure is. That's the place that we can tell, using Scripture, 
as we connect the dots in Scripture, as we're looking, it's the place where we look to the future where the Jewish people more than likely will go into the wilderness to be protected by God in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And what's so exciting about that when they come out, two-thirds of all the Jews will have been killed during that tribulation period, one-third according to Zechariah, chapter 13 and verse 9. Verse 8, the two-thirds of the Jewish people killed. Verse 9, that other third remaining come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the Messiah who comes Mm -hmm. to set up the kingdom. Well, you have another group coming in, I think you said at the beginning, and uh, you're going to get a bit of rest before you start taking them on the same type of tour. You won't have all the exciting days, but it'll be a great time there, and it's, it's good to be able to have these tours coming in to learn about the Jewish state of Israel, isn't it? It sure is, Dad, and we welcome anyone, and we invite you, come to the land of Israel to see God's plan for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel, from the past, the present today, and the future. Well, that is exactly what we do, the past, the present, and the future. We present that to you uh, there in the land. We do it here on the broadcast. We do it in the land, and that's a great place to uh, get that thought out. And Jim and Rick, our two sons, we're so proud of them, leading these tours throughout the entire land of the Bible, the state of Israel, and in particular in light of the 71st birthday of this Jewish state. Jim, be safe and enjoy the next tour coming in. We'll talk to you probably next week when they get there. Sounds good, Dad. I look forward to it. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I've got one more broadcast partner, David James, standing by. We're going to talk about some of the great saints of Christianity. They've gone to heaven, but they've left us a heritage that we need to carry on. That conversation with Dave James upcoming in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is the third half hour. If you stay with us, this half hour will make 90 minutes. We ask for you to give us 90 minutes every week so that we can give you the world, all the current events happening, and our broadcast partners giving us insight into these events. It'll help you to understand what's going on. David James standing by, the last broadcast partner for today. We're going to talk about the great saints who have gone home to be with the Lord already and the legacy that they left for you and me to try to stand up and carry on into the future until the rapture does take place. Hey, do me a favor. Go to my homepage on my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, there is a poll question. Here it is in relationship to our special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at 71. Here's the poll question. With Israel celebrating its 71st birthday, As a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, do you believe this is an assurance that all other Bible prophecy also will be fulfilled and very soon now? That's the poll question. Answer it if you will. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. If you go to that website, you can also look up and find out information about our tours, Joshua Travel, how much they cost, what the dates are, what the itinerary is. You need to join us in the land of the Bible. That website again, prophecytoday.com. 
We now bring to these microphones David James. Check your clock. It's that time of the week when David and I get together to have a conversation. Normally, we focus on an issue. Today, we're going to be focusing on personalities. When I talk about personalities, I'm talking about godly men. Now, each of them that we're going to be speaking about have gone to be with the Lord, and they served excellent Christian lives, great examples to many of us who are younger and on the way trying to fill in the gaps, which they left when they went into the heavenlies. God knows, but we want to have a conversation. And it really came to our attention when David and I both at the same time got news that Warren Wiersbe had gone to be with the Lord. David, last week we received word that one of the most beloved pastors, teachers, and authors of our generation went home to be with the Lord, and I mentioned his name, Warren Wearsby. Talk about that a moment. Well, that's exactly right, and I don't recall that I had him for a teacher when I was a student at the Word of Life Bible Institute back in 1985-86, back in the Dark Ages, but he was certainly influential in my life and and, uh, that of my wife. She attended the Bible Institute in New York with me. We had uh, Wendell Calder as our first teacher back then, and he's been the first teacher at Word of Life for as long as I can remember, and in fact, the students up here in Canada had him for their first teacher. Here we are 35, almost 35 years later, and one of the books that he had us read for his course on the book of James was one of Warren Wearsby's books from his B-series. There are 50 books in that series. So he's had a tremendous impact. He, you could almost call him a pastor's pastor because of the influence he's had on so many pastors around the country and certainly around the world, as well as a pastor to not just pastors, but to Bible teachers for actually decades now. David, go ahead and continue this sentence or two more about Warren Wiersbe and tell everybody that's eavesdropping on our conversation why do you think he was so influential and effective as a teacher and a writer? Sure. Well, he actually came to faith in Christ after hearing Billy Graham preach at an early Youth for Christ rally. So he went on to have uh, an incredible ministry. He served as director of Youth for Christ Literature Division. He was an editor of Campus Life magazine. He also worked with the Slavic Gospel Association, Child Evangelism Fellowship, the National Religious Broadcasters Association, Christian Booksellers Association, as well as back to the Bible, and in addition to that, during the 60s, he was a pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky, just across the Ohio River from Cincinnati in northern Kentucky there. And then in the 1970s, he was the pastor of the historic Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. So he just had a profound impact on so many people. He's actually the author of 150 books, and 50 of those being in the B-series, where he has a commentary on every book of the Bible. Let me give you a quote from Warren Wiersbe to give you an idea of why I think he had such an influence on people. He said, writing to me is a ministry. I'm not an athlete. I'm not a mechanic. 
I can't do so many of the things that successful men can do, but I can read and study and think and teach, and this is a beautiful, wonderful gift from God, and all I'm doing is using what He's given to me to teach people and to give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think his success was his ability to take the deep things of the Spirit of God, uh, to understand them, put them in simple terms, and then give pastors and other Bible teachers the way to apply those principles. And I think that's one thing that's missing from so much of today's preaching, is not only biblical interpretation, but biblical application as well, and something that the average person in the pew can understand and put into practice in their everyday lives. Well, you know, everything you just said was applicable for my own life, as I was influenced by Warren Wiersbe myself. Actually, I went away to go to Bible school and to prepare to be a preacher because of Warren Wiersbe. I was the vice president of a broadcasting company in South Georgia when a man named Fred Brown, he was evangelist out of Highland Park Baptist Church and Tennessee Temple University. And he came down, I had the singing for him. Judy and I, my wife and I, had started a Baptist church. Uh, we're just preaching and weaning people to Jesus Christ. We had a youth ministry there. And I was wondering if I had gone to Florida State, and I was wondering if I needed to get some Bible training. So Fred Brown said, come on up uh, to Chattanooga and visit me, stay with me. We're going to be in a Bible conference up there. Myself and Warren Wiersbe are going to be the Bible teachers. Well, at that point in time, I'd never heard of Warren Wiersbe. Man, when I got there, I had the opportunity to meet him, sat under his preaching, and he and Fred Brown both just influenced me so much and taught the Word of God. They just could handle the Word of God so effectively, I just felt that that's what God wanted me to do. Had later had an opportunity to be with him there at the Calvary Baptist Church there in Kentucky. And, uh, you know, just an, uh, a powerful man. I remember one of his magazine articles where he would talk about a great giant of the faith, more or less like we're doing on the radio right now, but he did that by writing an article in one of the magazines, and it was just so powerful, just a, a great man of God, and I praise the Lord for the impact that he gave me and the opportunity I had to be with him, and I'm sure you could give testimony almost exactly like mine. That's exactly right, as you said, from his writings and his impact, but whether directly or indirectly, I've been taught by so many who were influenced by him as well. That is the case with both of us. You know, David, we've lost quite a few of the giants of the faith who were very important dispensationalists, and they have influenced thousands of pastors and Bible teachers and authors around the world. Let's take a moment. Let's talk about three men who had a major impact in both of our lives and our ministries, all who have passed away within the last couple of years. Those men were Rennie Showers, Stan Toussaint, and Dr. Charles Ryrie. Well, certainly all three of those men had a tremendous impact in my life, as I know they did in yours. Dr. Showers, as we recently discussed, went home to be the, with the Lord last month. Uh, Stan Toussaint back in uh, September of 2017, Dr. Ryrie back in early 2016, and I would even mention one other man, Robert Leitner, who uh, went home to be with the Lord in the fall of last year. And, of course, Dr. Showers wrote so many great books, What on Earth is God Doing?, which laid the foundation for this course, God's Plan through the ages that I've taught over 60 times around the world. I use his uh, commentary on Daniel. 
and uh, just so many others that he has written. And, of course, his influence in ministry with Friends of Israel was such a, a tremendous impact on uh, ministry to Jews around the world. Dr. Toussaint, I had him at Dallas Seminary, and then he joined us in Hungary a number of times as one of our guest teachers. He didn't write quite as many books, uh, but he was a very knowledgeable man, very, very humble, and he always had these uh, interesting sayings. He would say that I'm from Hinkley, Minnesota, where the men are men, pansies are flowers, and the girls are a little above average. That always elicited a chuckle. And then when he was dealing with a passage where there was a teaching that he didn't agree with, some would teach, he would say, that bird won't fly and that dog won't hunt. So just a uh, a unique man of God. And then, of course, Dr. Ryrie, with his book on dispensationalism, his basic theology book, and uh, balancing the Christian life. And then, of course, the Ryrie Study Bible. You just can't overstate the impact that these men have had. That bird won't fly and that dog won't hunt. <laughs> I just loved that saying when I was uh, having opportunity to be in conferences with Stan Toussaint. Just a great saying of God. All three of those men impacting my life as well. There were three other men, though, who were very important in our lives, either directly or indirectly. That would be Dwight Pentecost, Roy Zuck. I know he is really effective in your life. And Dr. John Walvert is a dear friend of mine. Uh, of course, uh, Dr. Pentecost was a longtime professor at Dallas Seminary, and each of these men I have known to one degree or another, some uh, better than others, but the book Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost was a classic, and as I was actually looking and preparing for our discussion, he wrote actually many more books than I was even aware of, just so many, and impacted so many lives. I had him for the Book of Romans, and he would open up the Book of Romans, and he would just start teaching. He wouldn't have a note in his hand. He just knew the Word of God so well. Uh, Roy Zook was a very dear personal friend, actually even supported our ministry while he was alive and gave us so much time in teaching. He gave us five weeks one year teaching in Hungary when Dallas Seminary couldn't even get him for one course, so that was an amazing thing. And then, of course, Dr. Wolverd, the elder statesman, the second president of Dallas Theological Seminary, laid the foundation for bringing dispensationalism from the early men like Chafer and even going back to Schofield, and then teaching men like Ryrie and teaching men like Pentecost and, and uh, Dr. Toussaint and Showers. Just a, an incredible man, humble and very knowledgeable, and we owe a great debt to him. Yes, and I could echo everything you just said about those three men as well. David, as we close out our discussion for this week, I want to remind our listeners that there are some encouraging signs of a renewed interest in dispensationalism and that the generation coming up behind us can still find some schools and resources as the mantle for teaching the Word of God is being passed on to them. That's exactly right. I am very encouraged, probably more so than I have been for some time in regard with regard to dispensationalism. Uh, you and I discussed a few weeks ago the new book that came out, What is Dispensationalism?, which uh, I uh, co-authored with 26 different authors. We're actually going to be seeing that used as a textbook at Word of Life Philippines. They've already gotten a hold of the book, and so I think it could be a classic, a very important book. Uh, I'm an administrator in a Facebook group that is committed to traditional 
uh, dispensationalism. I uh, participate in another Facebook group like that. I'm a member of the Council on Dispensational Hermeneutics, which started out a Baptist Bible Seminary in Clark Summit. You have schools like Tyndale, Schofield, Chafer, Southern California Seminary, Baptist Bible College, Calvary University. Those are dispensational schools. And then we have the two schools that you and I are connected with, Louisiana Baptist University and, of course, our own School of Prophets. So we are committed to training up the next generation, and I hope among our listeners there are young men who are willing to take up the mantle and move on carrying dispensationalism to the next generation that they might teach others who might teach others also. So it's it's encouraging, but it's also a challenge. David, it's our challenge in particular, isn't it, that we find younger men, train them up in the Word of the Lord, understanding how to interpret the Word of God, and then as we may be ushered into the heavenlies before the rapture, realize there's still some who can carry on uh, the teaching of the Word of God. I thought this was a great conversation, David. I'm I'm happy that uh, we're not trying to make these people any different. They were just men made of clay, like uh, David and myself, and you too, my dear friend, Uh, But they were students of the Word of God, serious about loving the Lord Jesus Christ and teaching His Word. Thank you for your research on this, David, and drive carefully going back home. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Talk with you next week, Lord willing. We're going to have to take a break right now. I'm going to take the Bible. We've been talking about teaching the Bible. I'm going to take it, open it up. We'll look at the current events we've discussed in light of God's prophetic Word and see exactly what it has to say. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and then frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, we had a special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at 71. All of our broadcast partners on today's program mentioned the modern-day miracle of a Jewish state among all the nations of the world. By the way, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go over to Prophecy Today Radio Network, PTRN, and you can listen to all of my broadcast partners and their reports. Well, on today's program, I want to remind you of the nation of Israel, past, present, and prophetic. When we think about the past, we have to go back 4,000 years ago to the time of Abraham. Remember, God brought this Gentile man out of Ur of the Chaldees, which would be located in southeastern Iraq today. He brought him up the Fertile Crescent to what is Syria today, and then down into the land of what is Israel today, and he promised him all the land that he had been traveling through. Now, we can go into the borders of the nation of Israel, but it includes each and every state that it may be in your thinking today. It's half of the nation of Egypt, all of the nation of Israel and Lebanon. Then it includes Syria, also Jordan, three-quarters of Iraq, three-quarters of Saudi Arabia, and all of Kuwait. That's what God promised Abraham. He told him he would make him a nation a nation that would be forever. That's Genesis chapter 15. And by the way, when you read Genesis 15, you see all the land that I was talking about. He begins to describe that land. In fact, there is a promise, another covenant that God made to the Jewish people. It's the land covenant found in Deuteronomy chapter 30, where he lays out the beginnings of 38 passages that deal with the land of Israel. And then there was a kingdom promised. He gave that to King David, that covenant, Second Samuel chapter 7. He said, I will select Jerusalem to dwell among my people forever. I will give Jerusalem to the Jewish people. It will be the headquarters for the kingdom to come, and you will have one of your sons, King David, i.e. Jesus Christ, who will sit on that throne forever. What I've just given you would be the unconditional covenants. God's part is to fulfill these covenants, the Jewish people. All they simply have to do is believe him, and all of these covenants will be fulfilled to the Jewish people. Now, that's basically the past. When we think about the present, and there's so much I could go through, don't have time to get into all the details, but as you would look at all that information from a political perspective, it was a miracle that the Jewish state of Israel came back into existence. We are celebrating the 71st birthday of the Jewish state of Israel. Remember Ezekiel? Ezekiel said that he was taken to a valley of dry bones where the Lord asked him as the bones were laying there in the field, could they come back together? Well, Ezekiel was told to preach to the bones, and as he did, Ezekiel 37 verse 7, the bones started to come together. 
That's the regathering of the Jewish people out of the four corners of the earth where they have been scattered for the last 2,000 years. As Ezekiel in verse 8 continued to preach, the skin came on the bones. That was the restoration of a Jewish state. And finally, the breath of life, verses 9 and 10, would be breathed into these bones who had come together and were covered with flesh, and they would have life. They would be re-energized. Verse 11 of Ezekiel 37 says, These bones are the whole house of Israel. They would stand up like a mighty army. Just prior to Ezekiel 37, chapter 34, 18 times the Lord says, I will find my people where they have been scattered, regather them, bring them into the land that I have promised them. Now, we have the tangible evidence of the fulfillment of these prophecies in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 34 and 37. Prophetically, as we look at Israel on their 71st birthday, you have to understand that God does have a plan for the Jewish people into the future. He's given them this plan. It's in the New Covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. And the New Covenant is basically a combination of the previous covenants, the Abrahamic Covenant, the Land Covenant, and the Davidic Covenant, that all of it will come together and a kingdom will come. Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago to give them this kingdom. The Jewish people rejected him, but he postponed that kingdom and then made a promise in the Olivet Discourse he would come back and he would receive his kingdom from God the Father, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, a kingdom that would be forever, and it would be headquartered in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus will build a temple in the city of Jerusalem, Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. Verse 13 says he will rule and reign from that temple forever. That kingdom will also be set up in eternity future. It's going to be on the new earth when the Lord destroys this old earth and creates a new earth. God does have a plan for his chosen people, the Jewish people. And as we celebrate the 71st birthday of the Jewish nation of Israel, we can see it coming better into focus. God's plan will be played out. And in reality, you and I today are living in the days that these prophecies will be fulfilled. Ezekiel chapter 37 and chapter 34 have already been partially fulfilled, six and a half million Jews living in the land that God promised to give them. That's tangible evidence of what God's plan for the future is for the Jewish people, and that it will be fulfilled. Israel's 71st birthday is proof that God will fulfill his promises, and his prophetic word. But let me quickly remind you, before all of this happens and total fulfillment does take place, the rapture of the church will happen. And with all that we've talked about on today's special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at 71, the rapture seems to be ready to happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until...
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.